0: Hey everybody, this is Josh Dorkin, the host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, here with my co-host Brandon Turner. What is happening, Brandon? Hey, Josh. Uh not much has happened. What's happening with you? Oh man, just you know, rocking out another show, show 18. Very excited to be here. We've got a uh an awesome, awesome guest with us, Mr. Danny Johnson. Uh a little bit about Danny. Danny's actually uh Danny's been around BP for a while and, and certainly around the uh house flipping scene. Uh, he runs a very popular blog, flippingjunkie.com. And, uh, he's also one of our regular contributors on the bigger pockets blog with a, uh, weekly column. Uh, he's actually been investing since 2003, uh, and has been full time since 06. And, uh, I believe he and his company flip somewhere between 25 and 30 houses a year. Uh, he also wholesales does buy and hold. Uh, he's got a ton of insight, uh, that he can share to help us out. And, uh, So we're, we're super excited before we get to Danny though, we've got something really important. We got to do our quick tip. (laughs) Yes. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Here's today's quick tip. If you guys have any questions or comments for any of the guests here on the podcast, make sure to jump on the show notes and leave comments below the notes. Uh, all, of our, uh, all of our guests actually follow the show notes. So uh, if you've got questions about something they talk about, just jump in and leave a comment. Or even if you thought it was great and, and helpful, you know, leave some feedback because uh, these guys thrive uh, from the feedback that they get. And uh, you know, it makes it worth the time that they, they spent to, to be on the show. So that's today's quick tip.
2: You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com/vp to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com/vp. Connectinvest.com/vp. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature proof of income verification. And get this with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that. But it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot And use the code BPINVESTOR. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. Which is crazy. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement, you can buy a brand new construction, turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? It's not that complicated,
1: Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return.
2: Hold oh, anyway, wait, wait, let me get on this before we tell it to the whole bigger pockets audience.
1: Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's rent t o retirement.com or text REI to 33777.
2: That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today.
0: And without further ado, Brandon, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. We are going to bring out Danny Johnson, Danny. Nice to have you here. Welcome to the show.
3: Great. How are you, Josh? I am doing well. What about Brandon? I'm like, also doing concerned well. Concerned about Thank
0: his well-being? <laughs> of
3: course. I was going to get to that. I was going to let you speak first, though. I, I, do, I do appreciate you guys having me on the show. Thank
1: you. Yeah, yeah no problem. Well, we're, we're glad to have you.
3: Absolutely. So, uh, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. You know, why don't we just jump right into this? I just stole your line, Josh.
0: You totally stole my line. Why don't we jump right into this, yeah. Brandon? All right.
1: <laughs> Let's do it. So, Danny, you are... Uh, a house flipper, obviously. Um, you yeah. you know, you run a blog about it. I think you probably do a little bit more, but we'll get into that. But so, why don't we just start at the very, very beginning? A very good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> get to the question, B. That, that's a reference from Sound of Music. Anyway, how did you get into flipping?
3: See, I was uh, I was a software engineer, uh, a software developer. Really, I went to to college and got a degree in computer science and was a software developer, uh, working in an office. Uh, I was uh, a defense contractor. So it was uh, like a top secret or secret kind of thing where, you know, had, you know, in rooms without windows, things like that. But, um, (laughs) you know, all the, like going into the office every day and, and sitting there and working and, and and for a while it was interesting and it was what I thought I wanted. But, um, you know, after a while I, I got to the point where I just couldn't, couldn't stand it anymore. I mean, just being there and and having to do the same old thing over and over and no more being able to be creative or anything or you know I was kind of basically doing the same sorts of programs and it just seemed like everybody else there was pretty miserable for the most part and it's like why do people do this you know why am I doing this and but I didn't know what to do I didn't know I didn't know there were options like what else could I do if I went to another job would it be the same and just uh, and while I was in, in college my father actually started real estate investing. And so I got to see his progression uh, from from just getting started and, and really just taking off and just seeing his excitement and just the vitality. And, and uh, you know, every time I talked to him, it was something new. He had all these different stories and this and that's happening. It's like never before was it like that. And so, you know, more and more, I just felt like, wow, I've got to do that. You know, that's that's what I've got to do. I want to be out there every day hustling and, and uh, you know, making it for myself. So, so I started studying and, uh, and educating myself. And uh, an important thing to tell people, too, is a lot of people might think, well, you know, your father was doing it. So, you know, he kind of mentored you. You had a mentor. But the thing was, he didn't take me by the hand and show me step by step what to do. I got educated and started doing my own thing. And whenever I had some some questions about something specific, I could call and ask him and he would help me out with it. But he wanted me to do my own thing. And uh, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. but it, Actually, you know, I
1: just commented on somebody's blog last night, on, on Ben Labovich's blog post. And I said, that's what I think an ideal mentor is, somebody who fills in the gaps. They, they're not there necessarily to teach as much as they are to... Fill in the gaps, and you need to learn yourself. So that's exactly what I was thinking.
3: Well, you got to put in the work.
0: Yes, that's
1: the yep. right,
3: right. And I think a lot of the the people that go into it thinking I'm not going to do anything until I find a mentor to hold my hand and show me exactly what to do, that's not going to work. You, you got to get past that. You've got to you've got to move to where you're hustling, you're doing it, and you're making your way. And you're take and it doesn't mean go out and buy a house and then figure it out. <laughs> I mean, ba- you know, baby steps. You know, go start looking at houses, talking to realtors. Finding out what houses are selling for, you got to get out there in the streets. You can't just sit behind the computer and expect to go from, you know, the point of being not knowing anything to going out and, and buying your first flip. That's you know, awesome. You know, it's going to take getting out in the streets and, and doing stuff. So, so I educated myself, and uh, you know, thankfully my wife was was on board a hundred percent, and so she was okay with uh, afternoons and evenings and uh, you know weekends doing things you know, doing all the marketing that we were doing, because we started with marketing to motivate sellers, which I suggest for everybody, uh, just because there was so much competition with the bank-owned foreclosures. So we started with that. We started with uh, marketing motivated sellers, and and, uh, I tell the story. I'm sure the people that subscribe to my blog have heard this one several times, but when we got that first phone call from a motivated seller, I was so nervous, I threw the phone at my wife, (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and no, she yeah. had to take the call just because I couldn't bring the nerve, you know, to to actually, you know, ask. I didn't. I just froze. I, I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know. <laughs> what Way to be brave, Danny.
0: <laughs> right. You know, so
3: I, I'm a fierce. Uh, now but but after I saw her do it, then I was able to do it the next time. Plus, I was just so embarrassed by it. But
0: um, <laughs> <laughs> and now it's out there, so there's nothing to be embarrassed
3: about. <laughs> right. I'm sure. Everybody yeah. knows. Yeah, it's really my wife running everything. I'm just the, the face <laughs> and the. <laughs> talk. Yeah, I just talk about what she does. No, but uh, <laughs> so I'm trying to remember where I was in the in the whole thing. So we started, uh, you know, doing the motivated seller marketing, and even with that, you know, my father wasn't telling me market to these people or do this. I just learned and grabbed a couple things, a couple techniques, uh, things like uh, direct marketing. You know, sending letters, to absentee owners driving for dollars, which I absolutely love. Uh, and that's a great way for people to start because they get to know their areas and the different parts of town and, and you drive through them and, and some of the areas you might not even be aware are in your, your city and that investors are are actively rehabbing. And, and so if you don't know what driving for dollars is, it's where you go out and you look for vacant rundown houses and neighborhoods and get the address of the owners to those houses from usually the county appraisal district's website and uh and then mail to them direct mail. So we did that we we got some success we got uh we got a, a great deal that was uh a pretty crazy deal as it turns out and I could go into that if if you guys want me to. Yeah. That first yeah. deal.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely get um uh, really quick, we actually just put out a couple uh, articles um uh, on, on driving for for dollars. I believe it was Chris Feltis yeah. uh, who had, who had written them and, and we'll link to those. They're they're really comprehensive. Uh and uh, anybody listening can can check them out. Uh, we'll have them in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show eighteen. Um so yeah, let's get to that first deal. So so what was it? Well, you know, if you rem- remember the numbers or anything, great. If not, you know, give us give us kind of the the, the lowdown, the
3: down and dirty. Okay, no, I absolutely remember the numbers because it was pretty simple uh, in terms of numbers. But as far as the process of of buying the house and to making money was was <laughs> pretty complicated. So what happened was we had found this house that had been. Uh, Burned. There was some fire damage to the property. Uh, Driving by, it was overgrown. There was a bunch of smoke on the outside broken out windows, and the roof was even, you know, had a hole in it from where the fire had burned so hot it burned through the roof. So we sent a postcard to the owners of that house, and they called us. And and when I say us, you know, my wife and I, and we went over to the house and uh, agreed to buy the house for $25,000. And the thing was, they actually owed... A little over sixty. I think it was sixty-five thousand. So we had to do a short sale because we would have to get the bank to approve less than what was owed on the property. So we found a realtor that was uh, had done some short sales, and she was willing to work with us and submitted the package to the bank. So we we the bank approved the short sale of twenty-five thousand, so we could buy, uh, you know, pay off the the loan for twenty-five thousand when the loan amount the balance was something like sixty-five thousand. And the sellers ended up having a problem with that. They wanted to know why the bank was willing to sell us, you know, to, to accept 25000 from us when they wouldn't accept it from them. And I'm not sure why that didn't come up when we were signing the contract saying that we were going to be offering that much. But make a long story short, they ended up saying that they weren't going to go to closing and they weren't going to sell the house. And so we were, you know, we had done a lot of work to that point and, and were pretty uh frustrated but the bank actually ended up coming back to us and saying why don't you guys buy the note from us now these people hadn't paid for over a year on this property it was so far behind and they said why don't you buy the note from us we want to sell it to you for 25,000 <laughs> right for 25,000 so sure okay, well, we did this work. Let's buy that note for 25000 And the people weren't living in the house, obviously. I mean, it was burned. They accepted the insurance money and somehow went and spent it on another property instead of doing the right thing and fixing it up. And, nice. and I'm not sure what the difficulty was with the bank. But so we ended up buying this note. And at that point, I was finding out, well, now either they start paying or we foreclose and, and take the house because they haven't paid in a year. And, you know, I was, I was really not wanting to do that. And, you know, as luck would have it an attorney ended up talking to the sellers okay and he was an investor and he wanted to actually buy the house so he had been talking with the seller and so you know, so they the attorney had contacted us and said look we know that you you know own this note now and was wondering if you would accept a short sale of 50,000 for this note that has a face value of 65,000 and the funny thing was the the bank actually, whenever we bought the note, they waited until we were closing on the note to tell us that we can't find the note, the actual oh. note. We have to give you an affidavit that we had the note and that you're buying. So you're basically, <laughs> we're buying basically an affidavit. And it's like, wow, this could get hairy, you know. <laughs> and, and so by him coming along and saying that he would be willing to buy, you know, to, to pay it off for 50, you know, was a godsend. Because then we were able to just, you know, sign a release. And accept the fifty thousand. So we made we, we bought the note for twenty five and ended up selling it for fifty and and uh, making twenty five thousand. So that was the first flip, and and I don't think we've had one as crazy since. You know.
0: <laughs> so this was a, a no repair needed flip. Very nice. Right. Right. Very nice. No, that's 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 an awesome deal. I don't I don't think I've actually heard of something similar happening. I'm sure it does, but uh, I don't I don't think I've ever heard of the bank saying here you know just take the note.
3: Yeah. Right, right. And that's one of those things. If we hadn't gotten out of our comfort zone and said, we're going to figure this out along the way, if we tried to plan out everything, we would have never done that deal. I mean, we had to plan this, the next steps. But if we were to try to go from start to finish, we would never, ever come up with all the possibilities of, of something like that happening and being prepared for it. It's kind of one of those things where you you adjust as you go. Yeah, you know, that's that's
0: great. So how about your, your first... Uh, f- We'll call it traditional flip, right? The first rehab and, fix and, and renovation. Fix and flip, renovation. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the correction, Ren.
3: <laughs> okay, that one was uh, the, It was a, a property that I put some, some bandit signs out. And just a, a quick warning for people, most places uh, bandit signs are illegal, so you need to check with uh, you know, the local jurisdictions and authorities or whatever to find out. And, and a lot of places you can buy permits. To do those, but to check with those, don't just go and put bandit signs out. But I was I not put, aware of those permits, by the way. That that's that's a great little
0: tidbit, Danny. Right, sorry to interrupt.
3: Right. Oh, that's no problem. Here, yeah, here you can pay for permits per sign to put out. But uh, let's see what you know. The the gentleman called me on my bandit sign, and I went over to look at the house, and it really didn't need a whole lot. It was a uh, a house that needed paint and carpet, so we estimated five thousand on the fix up. And we ended up buying it, I, I think it was for about 20000 So we were into this property for 25000 And we sold it with, uh, with owner financing. Because uh, at the time, a lot of people were owner financing and immediately selling the notes. So you could do a, a close where you would sell the house. And, and on the same day, you, you sell the note as well. And note buyers were paying you know 90% of, of note value, 90, even in the mid-90s so you could get full profit out, you know, immediately that way and, and we actually uh you know, did that deal that way.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I I never really thought about that strategy. I don't know th- would that work as well today? Do you do any more of that seller financing selling the note today?
3: No. No, because people want them for they, they're not paying as much for the notes. I do know some people that are doing uh similar things, but they're not getting near as much, you know, for the notes. They're having to take a uh you know, redu- a reduced a price for them.
0: Hey, Danny, what market was that in? I, you know, I, we've got people from New York and California listening, hearing $20,000, oh. and they're thinking Detroit. Um, right. Uh,
3: it's San there Antonio. I go, beating up on Detroit again, man.
0: <laughs>
1: you do like it's to beat up on Detroit.
3: San Antonio, you no, said? No, it's San Antonio, and that's also in kind of the lower end area. I mean, that's not a typical, you know, residential, decent residential area. It was uh, and that—that that was the reason for doing the owner financing. It wasn't an area where typically people would be able to get bank loans and, and, you know, buy buy the house retail, which is what we focus on now. You focus more on the retail side, right? Well, we focus more. Yeah, we we buy them and then sell them, and people get FHA loans typically to buy the houses that we fix up now. Well, let gotcha. actually,
1: yeah, let's actually talk more about like your kind of current business model. Then, like, how many like how many flips do you usually do at a time, or what do they look like? What are you paying for them? Stuff like that.
3: Okay. Well. Basically, we we have slow times and busy times. I'm sure most investors experience that where you kind of get a flood of properties and then you kind of have a lull where you're focusing on taking care of properties. Uh, At least we do. So when we get busy, we're typically handling anywhere from 8 to 13, 14 properties at a time in the process of being purchased, fixed up, and sold. And, uh, you know, I guess that would average to about 2 or 3 a month. And then the price ranges… It really kind of varies because with my marketing to motivated sellers, I have a lot of people calling me, so I'm not targeting specific houses or even specific areas. So it, it changes, but typically I'm buying from between 30,000 to 60,000 uh, and fixing up for anywhere from like five to 15, 20. And then we're selling for anywhere from 80 to 130. Saying so, and I typically shoot for 65% of the after repaired value. Instead of the seventy that most people do, okay
0: and it's great that you can actually uh, you make that happen.
3: yeah, I, I might pass up I might miss a couple because of that, but you know also at the other side of that coin though is if you don't ever shoot and ask for less, you won't ever get show less so you know so that works out for me.
0: so you know that, and that brings up something interesting. I actually just read an article about the shark Tank, I'm sure a lot of people listening to the show watches. They it was kind of these rules for uh, being successful there, and the, the 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 number one rule was always negotiate, always always negotiate. Don't right. don't just take the offer. Don't you know? Because out of excitement, all these guys you know jump on that first offer, and and I think a lot of real estate investors do that as well. It's like they'll you know they'll get an offer uh, p- potentially uh, you know they'll get a response to their offers, and they're not going to counter. And it's like well you, you know you might as well take a chance,
3: right? Right, yeah, it never hurts to ask because you'll never get it if you never ask. And, <clears throat> I mean, that gets into the the uh, whole thing where, you know, I'm sure you've heard it before, and I think I just wrote an, an article with that in there as far as being embarrassed by your offers. If you're not embarrassed by your offer, you're just offering too much. If you're happy with what you're offering and thinking they're going to be gung-ho about it, you're, you're just offering far too much.
0: That's good.
1: And, uh,
3: and I th- uh,
0: c- can I can I go on top of that for a second? Sure. Because um, I... I saw a show on TV last night. I don't know what it was. It was one of these flipping shows. The guy had put an offer on a house and he, you know, it was, it was like he pulled the offer out of the air. You know, it, this offer was like magical. He was like, oh, well, it seems like this might work. And he pulled it out. He didn't do the math. He, maybe he did, but on the show he didn't. And, you know, I know a lot of people watching that are like, oh, okay, well, I guess maybe I just go out and, you know, make some generic offer. You, know, you had talked about the 65 and 70% rules. But you know, I, w- I want to press on how important it is to to stick to your numbers, right? I mean, because if you're if you're uh, just pulling numbers out of the air, you're going to find yourself uh, way deep upside down by the time your flip's over, aren't you?
3: Oh, right, right. And I have people ask me all the time uh, to analyze certain deals for them, and they they say, "What's a good price to offer th- on this on this deal?" And it just it amazes me because I don't ever have the information I need to make that deal, and I'm not sure. It's just not coming across. Maybe some people just don't understand enough to where they, they've got to get the after-repaired value. You have to figure out what that house is going to be worth once it's fixed up. If you don't have that number, you can't figure anything out. And then that leads to knowing your market, right? Right, right. And then as far as wanting to offer too much for deals, uh, this is a big thing with me. If if you're tending to want to up what you calculate and offer more just to try to get it accepted the problem lies in not getting enough leads if you don't have enough leads coming in you try to milk every single thing that comes across your desk or, or that you know that you become aware of and try to turn it into a deal when a lot of time, when it's a real deal you're going to know it's a real deal you won't have to make it a deal
1: that's, that's really really good I'm going to make that one of those tweetable topics. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know, if, if you go to the bigger pockets, uh, show notes, uh, for this, it, it's biggerpockets.com slash show 18. Uh, there's a little section there called tweetable topics and it's stuff that you can, they're quotes from the show. You can actually put on Twitter or Facebook. So, uh, check out that uh, again, biggerpockets.com slash show 18. Um, but I do want to transition into actually what you're talking about there, uh, Danny, and that's marketing and getting leads. Uh, so that's a, a good, um, transition point. So how how are you finding deals today? Like, what are you doing to get them?
3: Okay, that's top secret. <laughs> <laughs> no, fired. it's not. It, it, it's not. It, and it's really, you know, I don't know, some people might, you know, want to hear the newest, hottest technique or something that nobody has ever heard of. But I'm, I'm a simple guy. And, and what has worked for people for decades still works. And I focus on finding motivated sellers in, instead of houses. So I try to find people that need to sell houses or want to sell houses uh, quickly and for cheap and so to do that I've got a house buying website that performs wonderfully and I've spent a lot of time on ranking and, and Google and so that generates a lot of leads for me and on top of that I do mailings and I'll do drive for dollars where I you know we talked about before and I do letters and postcards and I I sort of prefer the the postcards over the letters for those and then absentee owner lists, and you can get a list of absentee owners from listsource.com, and it's fairly inexpensive. And uh, you can specify – be sure that you specify uh, equity percentages because they have a way to sort of – a rough idea of, of how much equity the people that you're mailing to have in the house. So you don't want to be mailing to people that just purchased the house and, and don't have very much equity because your chances of buying it you know, for what you need to buy it for are pretty slim
0: what 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 equity percentage do you usually shoot for?
3: I I shoot for roughly, you know, I it's it's really low. I mean, fifty percent or less for equity. So it'd be more. So fifty percent or more equity. Yeah, yeah. And are
1: are most people do you think are they like out of out of area landlords or are they homeowners who are, you know, just tired of owning it or or what do you like, what are you buying from?
3: I think. Well, whenever I select out-of-state, out of, uh, out of state, there's not enough of them. So I I, I grab in more because I think that the people that are out-of-state and out-of-area tend to be a little bit more motivated for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, they're not near the property. And so, so I will target uh, those. And then what if I don't have enough come back, say the list is only 200. I mean, these mailings, you want lists of, you know, three, four, 500, even 1,000. You know, don't pull off 50 and mail to them and expect to, to land a deal. It's possible, but it's it's not likely. What, what
1: kind of conversion rates are you getting? Do you know, like, do you track that? Like, how many people are calling you based on how many letters you send out and how many of those right. actually turn into deals?
3: And the conversions, I mean, this is just a real rough idea because I don't have that in front of me. But yeah. it's basically, I'm looking at about 2 to 5% depending on what I'm sending out. you know, Obviously, yellow letters get good response rates. And a lot of people talk about yellow letters, and I do like them. But I think you get higher response rates, but I'm not sure that the, the uh, quality of the leads is as good. So okay. you might get more calls. And you know, some people talk about postcards, whatever, that generate a 20% response, like you know, return or response rate, a 20%. And I was thinking, that's crazy. You know, how are you getting 20%? you know or anything even close to that and I got a hold of one of them finally and uh, I saw what the difference was they had you know is where I call for a free recorded message and, and and it had some kind of thing on there and so people were calling to the free recorded message and I'm sure you can maybe convert some more people but I wouldn't call that the same sort of response you know it's not the same quality when you were sending them
0: uh were you doing them monthly, bi-weekly? What was, what was your, I guess, mailing frequency?
3: I would try to send to the same people on a spacing about three to four weeks apart and then you know do postcard, letter, postcard kind of thing. And honestly, I get busy with getting deals and, and working on those that I'd never really get past much more than three or four in the series. But my response rate does go up, surprisingly enough, as you get further out as people get touched more by your message you know you get I've heard seven is a magic number I've never actually made it out to seven before maybe I should try that (laughs) But but it's produced enough results to get some deals and it becomes a little bit unnecessary at the time
1: no that's great i've read I've read some stats from uh, uh, Sharon bornholt on the on the blog She's mentioned a couple of times about yeah, like the response rate as you go up, the more letters you send gets like significantly higher, so mm-hmm. uh, definitely there's some uh, data to back that up so
0: hey Danny, how big is your team because like, you you've got all these deals going on is Is it just you and your wife, or do you guys have uh obviously I'm assuming you have contractors and other folks, but is yes. other other People involved. I, I
3: wanted to laugh when you said team. <laughs> yeah, it's it's my wife and myself, and she she these days works uh, about half a day a week, and and that's you know doing books and and uh, things like that.
1: So you have contractors that do all your work for you. I mean, you hire oh, everything definitely. out.
3: Yes, I, I'm not a hand. You're not doing eight houses
1: at a time by yourself. <laughs> no,
3: no, no. I they all, yeah, it's contractors all the way. You know, I would never swing a hammer. Uh, for one, I probably smash all of my thumbs, you know, both of them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've got ten thumbs, but
1: <laughs> we we now, had we had a meeting the other day with uh, um, some bigger pockets of members from the Seattle area, and uh, somebody asked me that question: "Is is it good for me to learn how to do all this contracting work?" And I actually said, "I think it's better not to know how to do the work." Like I think that was a hindrance for me. Like it's always been a hindrance for me because I I will fudge the numbers because I know that I can. Go do the work myself. It's like, oh, I can't get this deal close, you know, cheap enough. Well, that's all right. I can just go put my own carpet in. And every time I, I would do that
3: when I was, especially starting out, I was really bad at that. So right, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, that's what I was saying. People think that they can save money by doing that, but the opportunity cost lost is insane. I mean, yeah. it, when you get your head, you know, you're concentrating on something, you know, that that's just low paying and it's not, you know, worth your time really. So you figure out what your time is worth. And you say, what can I hire somebody to do this for? And then, you know, most of the stuff that you do, you know, you should be hiring out.
0: Now, do you do you guys? Uh, do you have your real estate license, or do you uh, hire a real estate agent to uh, do your sales for
3: you? Now we're completely rogue. No, but <laughs> no, no, no. We don't have our licenses, and and we do on the selling side, selling retail. We do have a, an awesome a real estate agent that lists the properties for us. Cool. No, that's great. Yeah,
0: it, it's interesting. You know, it, it brings me to the to the question that that tends to come up a lot, which is, you know, do you need your license or do you not? And then a lot of people, a lot of investors, you'll you'll hear them say how how uh, you know they're not fond of realtors, and it's just you you need these guys. I mean, if you're not one yourself, you you need a realtor. I mean, you keep fisboing, uh, you know, flips and things like that. It's just not the uh, optimum way to to absolutely get get the most benefit, you know?
3: Right, and that, that gets, it's the same thing as doing the work on fixing up the houses yourself. I mean, that, and that was, you know, because my wife was selling the properties when we were doing it at for a long time, and just the amount of time and frustration and energy spent on doing that, especially when everybody, it seems like every other person will schedule to meet with you at a property and then not show up, not call you or anything, and you just, you start to get so negative and, and just your energy is just wiped out from it, so... You know, I mean, we're, we're very happy to spend the 5 the to 6%. What about staging?
0: Do you guys stage?
3: Absolutely. That's something we started just a couple years ago, and it's made all of the difference in the world. And my wife does that as well for us. She went out and did a bunch of shopping and, and got some things that we moved from house to house. So we have about three sets, I think, of, of staging furniture, and it's made a huge difference. I mean, we're before we were having properties sit on the market, and I know the market's kind of heated up a little bit, especially here, and selling has you know things have been selling faster. But before we'd have properties sit on the market for you know 30, 60, 90 days even, and now I think the last probably eight, ten properties, you know that we've all staged every every one of those has gotten multiple offers within a day or two. Wow.
1: Yeah. Well, let's actually talk about that a little bit, about the changing market, because I know a lot of investors are having difficulty, um, especially the hedge funds that are coming in. And uh, I guess do you have any tips for people that are in those heated markets on still finding good deals? Is it just motivated sellers?
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, Yeah. that's that's my answer. And yeah, the, the bank owned properties, I I've switched off from chasing those, I think, a year and a half, two years ago, because mm-hmm. there's just so much competition. And if you're new... You know, there's people that have been in this business for years and years, and they go and they spend eight hours a day looking at 10, 12 of these properties and making offers on them. And they might land one a week or something like that. And that's just too much work. I mean, if and especially if you're new and you're doing this part-time, how do you expect to do that? And that's not to say that's everywhere, but, you know, it's… If you're wanting to get started and want things to happen quickly and find good deals that a lot of people don't know about, doing the the, the marketing to motivated sellers is key. And if I can mention something about that, because I think some people have a hard time doing that because they feel like they're taking advantage of people that are in tough situations. And that's just not the case. It's just not the case. And I'm happy for people to believe that because it leaves less competition for me because I know it's not the case. And I think most people assume they're going to be reaching out to people facing foreclosure that haven't been foreclosed on yet. And the vast majority of the leads we get, they're, they're not even close to being foreclosed on. And a lot of them don't even owe anything on the property. Hmm. And, it, you know, what, what, it, what it is is unearned equity, you know, people inheriting properties for the most part. And no matter whatever situation comes up that makes them want to sell that inherited property, that tends to be, Scenario that we we get a lot that were the houses that we buy. Interesting, okay. interesting. Um, do
0: do you do uh, in your marketing? Do you, do you guys do uh, yellow page ads or anything like that? Or, or uh, had you ever? I, I was just curious.
3: Yes, I did yellow page ads for a long time, and and uh, I always tried to get out of doing them because my cost per lead was was much higher for the yellow pages. But every time I went to try to cancel it, they would the salesperson would talk me into getting more ads for the <laughs> same the same price so I, i'd get more ads and paying the same amount though and it didn't seem to translate to more leads but i'd always you know so i started collecting all these ads you know i had like three or four ads in the, in the yellow pages but uh you know they were free or they convinced me they were <laughs> and i i just took those out i think it was last year this last year i, I took them out nice. because the cost per lead was so much higher and i wasn't getting that many calls from them but to tell you the truth, and I haven't said anything about this until now, the, I'm starting to wonder if maybe I should have them back in because I wasn't tracking close enough or people weren't telling me when they would go to the website from the Yellow Pages. And so I have a lot of website leads that appear to be strictly from search that are not, now that, that probably have come from Yellow Pages. And I've noticed a dip not a huge one, but a dip in my, my leads through my website. And I'm thinking it's, it's because of the, not being in the yellow pages.
1: Well, speak, speaking of your website, do you have any tips for people, you know, setting one up or uh, getting a lead generating website?
3: Okay. The, the website, uh, you know, you want one that'll have a form on it that can you know send you the leads by email. And the great thing with websites is you can have the questions on your form, uh, do negotiating for you. And it's just amazing to me how well that works because I'll have questions as far as what they're asking prices. And then further down I've got what's the lease you would take. Mm. And almost every single person will reduce that by five to twenty thousand dollars. So, you know, it's just amazing to me. <laughs> you know, you're asking that, but then they put the lease and so they do their own negotiating. But That's awesome. so you have a like, you know, on my side I've got a simple form on the front. So they don't feel overwhelmed. It's just the basic information. When they submit that, it takes them to a longer form. So I don't need the longer form, so if they don't submit it, it's not a problem. But if they do answer those, it helps me do analysis of the property without having to ask them a million questions on the phone. But as far as any any help or tips with the website, you know, I think the biggest thing is patience. You know, so many people, you know, the build it, you, know, if you if you build it, they will come thing. It's not true with websites. You know, you can't just have a website and expect people to come to it. So you've got to generate traffic. And if you want to rank in the search engines, it takes time. And I think so many people try a couple things to try to rank in the search engines, which is SEO. It's search engine optimization. But they'll try a couple things and then give up because they don't see any improvement over even two months. And if they had just stuck it out and gone four or five months, you know, they start to see the improvement and, and that's, yeah, I, sh- I, don't, I don't want to be telling too many people about all this because my competition... <laughs> but seriously, I mean, that's that's really what it is. And and don't be afraid of pay-per-click.
1: Yeah, like, like Google AdWords your, and stuff. Right.
3: Yeah, yeah, Google AdWords, Bing ads. You can set your budget, daily budget, to where it won't go over, so you can specify how much you want to spend. And the big benefit of that is having your ads for your website show up on the first page uh, if you bid the right amount for them. And then you can see... I think the biggest benefit is seeing what keywords people are really using to find you.
1: That's what I'm curious about. What do what people, I mean, they, they type in how do I sell my house or what, what do people look for?
3: That's top secret. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think uh, it, it was surprising to me because I thought investors used the We Buy Houses and not homeowners. But there's been so much advertising done by different companies and everybody putting up the signs everywhere that people actually search for We Buy Houses. Oh, interesting. And then, so,
0: so you're saying that the, the distressed homeowners who are looking to get rid of their property potentially are searching We Buy Houses instead of I need to sell my damn house uh, so, on Google.
3: Well, probably the Better quality lead is searching that, but but the majority of people are that I'm actually getting are, are searching for we buy houses. Interesting. Yeah, you know, they've seen the sign, or somebody's told them there's people that buy houses, and they say put. And they might not say we buy house, they might say buy houses and have some other form of it. But it comes in as representing, uh, you know, something like we buy houses. And then, of course, I you know I like selling, you know, my house fast and stuff like that. That's the other one I think is the key a uh, keyword. Yeah, nice. Well, uh, to you. What, what about Facebook? Facebook? Do
0: you use Facebook at all?
3: I have a fan page for that, but I don't use that much. I plan on using that a little bit more. That'll help your rankings a lot if you can, you know, use a set up a Facebook fan page for your house buying, and link it to your your house buying site. All right. And what about Facebook? Do you use that? Facebook, I use uh, set up a fan page to link to my house buying website, and then have that. Updated. I've been too lazy to ever update the thing, but that could help you with your, your search engine optimization for your hair house buying website. And I'm not sure if you're maybe asking about whether I use that for marketing directly on Facebook for leads, but no, I don't. And I probably should, but there's only so much I can do.
1: Yeah. I'm a big fan of. I don't do a lot of it, um, but I, I've done a little bit of Facebook ads for uh, when I'm trying to sell a house. I really like doing that. Is put up a, a picture of the house or or a picture of a local thing, like a local popular restaurant. And uh, the last one I did, I said, "Do you want to move away from Aberdeen? Because Aberdeen's a nearby town." And I said, do "You want to move away from Aberdeen? Buy this house in Montesano, and Montesano is like the nice town." So anyway, uh-huh. I, I'm a big fan of Facebook. I think there's that's a great idea. Yeah, so there we go. I have ideas, too. Look at that, Josh.
3: (laughs) You guys are crazy.
2: Ouch. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. it's not every day you find a game changer like RentReady. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let RentReady handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six-month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one-eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot and use the code BPINVESTOR. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, All right.
1: Well, let's switch gears a little bit. I know we're we're kind of getting ready to wrap up here, but I'm curious, what other kind of investing do you do? Do you do just flipping, or do you got other avenues?
3: No, I have uh, rental properties that I didn't intend to have. Okay. Uh, maybe a couple I did because they were long term tenants and they weren't requiring any repairs. You know, they've been there for 20 years, and so I buy the house and start getting income. I mean, it was it's nice to do that, but we don't. I don't actively search for rental properties, and I do it more for tax reasons. <clears throat> saving on, on taxes, and we also our, our long-term sort of retirement sort of strategy, so that we're not just always flipping houses and making chunks of money, is is uh, owner financing. So okay. we'll owner finance, sell the properties with owner financing, and then you know that way we don't have to deal with the broken toilets, the clogged toilets, and you know we even had a tenant one time call us because the shelf in the closet fell and. You know, it's just a matter of picking up the board and putting it back up on the, <laughs> the thing. But we don't get that, and you know, the people pay their property taxes, that pay for their own insurance on the properties, all that kind of stuff. So,
1: yeah, we talked about that a lot with uh, Clay Huber on the the sixteenth uh, Bigger Pockets podcast. So, uh, definitely a cool strategy, something I want to get more into as well. So, uh, what about wholesaling? You do that? Wholesaling,
3: yes, I do a lot of wholesaling, and I, I plan on doing a whole lot more of that. I, I really sort of want to switch gears into to focusing more on that to free up my time a little bit more and not have to deal with contractors as much Uh, and then you know the other thing is the the reason why I would wanna do some more wholesaling is because a lot of people talk about the frustration of dealing with contractors and getting the house fixed up and things like that but you don't hear many people talking about frustrations and hassles with selling houses and we have people multiple offer situations that within a couple days which is awesome it's great but then the banks have the problems with the 90 days. You know, most of these are FHA, you know, loans. And so you have this 90 day flipping rule where the banks are, are not wanting, you know, they want you to jump through all these hoops and show them how much you paid for it, how much you did in the repairs and all of these things. And, and uh, we've had, you know, problems with things taking so long that the buyers get really antsy and it just creates so many problems and it's really frustrating. But, uh, and so to not... Have to deal with any of that or fixing up or you know and just buying a house and, and wholesaling is awesome and especially because it's not just a four or five thousand dollar wholesale thing you can you know get ten fifteen twenty thousand dollar wholesales and I do it quite often and uh, you know to to be able to make as much as you would on a flip and all you have to do is assign a contract i mean which would you rather do so
1: yeah so what about like do you have any tips if somebody Wants to wholesale a deal to you. I mean, what what kind of tip would you give them, somebody who's just starting out with wholesaling?
3: The tip would be to to hustle and to find the deals that other people don't know about. You know, Obviously, I don't want to hear about listed properties and things like that. I want to hear about a great deal that doesn't need a whole lot of repairs that I can get for, for dirt cheap, obviously. So, yeah. uh, I mean... It's really just a matter of getting enough leads to get great deals to send to people because if you can focus on finding really, really great deals, which everybody just needs to do anyway, you don't need a whole lot of buyers. You don't need a 1,000-person buyer list. You, know, you have your handful of people that you're selling everything to, and that's what I do. I only have a small handful of people that, that buy everything I have, so I don't have to market and push this property very much. Usually the first or second person wants it but it's because I'm leaving enough meat on the bone. You know, I'm leaving enough room in them for them to make a lot of money on the deal too. So
0: no, that's great. That's great. Um, I was going to ask you a question and it totally disappeared. From my mind. <laughs> okay,
3: well, <laughs> it's, well, while it's you're gone. thinking of, while you're thinking <laughs> of that, I think also with, with the wholesalers, you know, maybe possibly, uh, wanting to, uh, you know, tips for them if they want to sell deals to, to successful investors is, uh, you know, Don't immediately send things out on, a, on an email blast. I think a lot of the best buyers just ignore those because they know that they're up against a bunch of people, mostly newbies and, and things like that. And if you can find the people that you think are your top prospects for buying your deals and give them 12 or 24 hours exclusive notice or you know right to buy the property, they're going to head out and go look at that thing right away because they know that you're giving them the first dibs on it. That's yeah. an
0: awesome tip. I, 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 I know a lot of businesses do that. A lot, uh, the press does that. I mean, it happens in a lot of industries. And I, I have not heard anyone specifically say that they do that. Um, and again, I, I think that's fantastic. I, I think that would get me as, as a purchaser uh, quite excited. Mm-hmm. And that said, I did think of my question, which is you came into real estate investing from a career uh, as an engineer and so um, I, I don't quite know if if you were uh, if you started the real estate while you were still working or if uh, you you quit and and went headlong into that um, maybe you could answer that first and then I'll get to the follow up
3: okay yeah I, I wish I could say I did but I did not we were working part time I mean as far as just like quitting the job and going into it head head first yeah, yeah. but so we my wife and I were still working full-time jobs when we got into real estate investing. And I, it was something like about three years, two to three years we were still working full-time jobs while we were doing this and then okay. transitioned. And I wish I could say, I just said, okay, I'm making so much money with that. I need to quit my job. I actually had to get laid off in order to push myself into doing <laughs> it full-time. You know, most people don't know that. but
0: Nice. So you were working, you know, for, for multiple years while, while investing. Uh, so my, my question was going to be on financing. And, and so uh, it sounds like what you did was you used your job to finance all your deals, correct?
3: No, I didn't use the job to finance the deals. We, we've always used other people's money and private lenders. And uh, even in the beginning, for, the first, uh, for a while, we were actually even partnering with another investor that was putting up the money and we were doing the work and splitting things. So we were using his money. To and how,
0: how did how'd you end up with, with this guy as, as a new investor who had zero experience? Uh, why, would, why would he want to work with you?
3: Because we were, we were hustling and, and, and had the deals. You know, it's like showed that, hey, you know, I've got this great deal. I need someone to fund it. And uh, you know, we worked out the, the details and made that happen.
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge, huge point there you made about if you have the deal, like the money's going to find you. I hear investors say that a lot, but the hard part is finding the deal. The easy part is the money at, at that point. So if you're having trouble finding funding for your deal, it's probably not a deal.
3: Right. And you know, and, and, and the hard money, I mean, there's nothing, if the deal is a good enough deal and you're buying it for cheap enough, getting hard money for do the first couple deals. You know, it, you know, if it's your your way to get your foot in the door and to actually do some deals, it's not a bad idea. You know, and then then you've got some experience even. So to convince somebody to lend you uh, the money is that's so much easier because you can show them past experience. Well, yeah, with har- with hard money lenders, the uh, the other good thing about that is a lot of times they can keep you from from doing bad deals. If they're not willing to lend on them, a lot of times, you know, they'll tell you this deal it's too tight. And uh, you know they're experienced people, usually really experienced investors, and and uh, so they could keep you out of some trouble too. All
1: right, no, that, that's awesome, Danny. Uh, I'm I agree completely. I started out with hard money lenders, and it's not always the easiest way in the world to do it because they're kind of expensive. But uh, but yeah, when you're starting out, if you got to do it, you got to do it. So uh, and a quick shameless plug, actually, BiggerPockets has a hard money lender directory, and uh, I think it's pretty great. So you can get it at biggerpockets.com/slash hard money lenders. And just click on your state and look for some guys in your area. So, Well, cool. Um, Well, let's, let's move on to uh, uh, an article you wrote uh, a few months ago. And it's actually one of my all-time favorite articles on the blog. I refer people to it all the time uh, from the forums. And it was called Nine Reasons That You Couldn't Find a Buyer for Your Wholesale Deal. So I just wanted to run through those nine reasons real quick with you and uh, see if you can kind of expand on them just a little bit. Sure. All right. So, reason number one that you can't find a buyer for your wholesale deal: it's priced. You price the deal too high,
3: right? And that's that's the main one. That's that's the the usual culprit. You know, as if you you price the deal too high because your numbers weren't right, or you had to fudge the numbers to to make it to where you could have a higher wholesale fee, or you know any number of things. And it's typically back into what we talked about, where you're just not getting enough leads to generate the deals that you need to get to be able to sell them easily. And so if you're having a lot of trouble selling them, usually it's because the deal is just priced too high. You know, you're seeing things, wanting the numbers to to come out a certain way so that you could say that, yes, this is a deal, I can do this. And you end up, you know, looking at maybe the comps, that the one comp that was, you know, $10,000 higher than the other five and said, you know, this is what the, the value is going to be. Just because it was wishful thinking and, uh, you know, and you, you just you know, hope that it will. So that's what you assume and, and you buy the deal for too much and then you can't sell it because you're pricing it too high.
0: Josh, you want to take number two? Yeah, sure. Uh, didn't have enough buyers on your list,
3: which which we kind of covered, didn't we? Well, sort of. I mean, if you... I mean, if you don't have enough buyers, you can't get the deal in front of enough people. That could be, you know, one of the the biggest reasons as well that you don't, uh, can't find a buyer for the wholesale. You know, certain buyers like certain things. So you might have something that most people would would turn their nose up to, uh, you know, as far as the area or the level of repairs and things like that. But if you have enough buyers, you're more likely to have, obviously, someone that might be looking for that specific thing so it never hurts to go ahead and build a big a big buyers list and that brings us to number 3 uh you know not having the right buyers on your list because I, like I said you know having that handful of buyers will buy most of your stuff and uh, so you really just want to find the ones that that do buy the most houses pay cash and the biggest thing for me is being able to make decisions quickly because what you want to do is give them that notice you know you've got 12 hours or whatever and if they can tell you within an hour or so, that allows you, if they don't want it, to move on to the next person and give them time. So, you want decision makers. You don't want someone that's going to wait three days and call and ask you some stupid questions about how old the roof is. Yep. Uh, and to find those people, the best you know, way that I've found to find these right buyers is to find the ones that are actively buying the bank-owned properties. And so you know, any realtor can, can do a search and find the, the bank-owned properties that were bought for cash over the last three to six or, or whatever months. And so from getting those addresses, you can look at the county records and, and look to see who bought those and send them a letter or find some way to get a hold of them and say, would you like more deals like this? You know, do you want more houses at a deep discount? And then you've got the right buyers because they've already shown they've bought a property. You know, they were, they've already pulled the trigger. They paid cash for it. They're going to be good buyers. Great tip. And a lot of times those lists you get from the realtor too, if it's in a certain area and, and then you've got like, you know, you know, a list of maybe 15 houses and three or four of those were bought from the same company or the same person. you know, that's who you really want to get a hold of. Buying multiple properties. Yeah, Definitely. Well,
0: number number four was you didn't approach your buyers correctly. You want to expand on that one?
3: That one, you know, is is also. I think that gets into you know approaching them with the exclusive access to the deal instead of shooting out an email that goes out to a, a thousand people when they know it's going out to a lot of people. So if you're not, uh, you know, approaching the good buyers uh, in a in a good way to let them know that you know they. They have dibs on it, and it's you know they should really go and look at this deal, you know, and then giving them the right information that they want, you know, as far as what you figure it will resell for, your estimate for the repairs, and then a way to get into the property or a way to look at it if you have pictures or video or anything like that.
1: Okay, good. Uh, number five didn't handle access to the property correctly.
3: Okay, with that one, you know, if if somebody's living in the house. Uh, you know, you're going to have a hard time getting buyers through, and and so if you know, you've got to take a million pictures or take some video or have you know some way for your potential buyers to to see everything that this house has, and then once somebody's willing to commit, you know, and you can allow maybe even a contingency, you know, for them in in signing a contract to have access to it, and then you schedule to bring the person through. Uh and so if you I mean if you can the best way is when if if the house is vacant obviously it's a lot easier if you're signing with a a seller a private owner because you did motivated seller marketing and it's a private owner and and you're signing the contract you know what I like to do if it's vacant is just say look I've got this uh, lockbox uh do you mind if I put the key in the lockbox and give you the code and put it on the front door this way I can while we're lining everything up to close I could start bringing my contractors by or or associates and, and let them see the house to figure out uh, you know, you know the extent of the repairs and things like that. And most people are okay with that. You know, if they have valuables in the house, they they might not uh, be interested in doing that. But but it never hurts to ask, and, and most people will let you. Nice.
0: And, and no, number six, uh, you demanded too much non-refundable earnest money.
3: Right. Right. That's you know people you know when you when you're requiring somebody to put up too much money for a deal uh you know especially that you know i've heard of people saying you know they want 5000 paid to them and i would never do that you know i would you know i because if the deal falls apart for reasons beyond my control i've got to deal with the hassle of getting the money back from this guy and you don't know if they're going to go and cash that and start spending the money you know if there's some title issue or something like that so be a little bit more reasonable uh, you know, tell them you know, make sure it's non-refundable, and I typically just have them pay that to the title company, so the title company's handling it, and uh, you know, they're they're a little bit more comfortable doing that. The serious buyers won't have a problem with you asking two thousand or even three thousand on a good deal, especially if you dealt with them before. Once you have your handful of buyers, I mean, it doesn't even matter anymore because you know that if they're agreeing to do the deal, they're going to close it.
1: Good. All right, number seven, uh, you didn't give yourself long enough.
3: Right, and you always got to have, you know, if you you plan on assigning a contract, you've got to try to get as much time as you can. And all the contracts that I've seen and I've used have always said closing is going to be on or before a certain closing date. And so get as much time as you possibly can and then shoot to find the buyer right away and, and close it as soon as you can. Uh, within reason, sometimes, you know, the sellers want some time to get things out. So, you know, but the, you, you've got to have built in a little bit more of a safety thing. If you're under the gun, if you tell somebody just because you're trying so hard to get a deal and you tell them we'll close it within four days and you don't have a buyer or even a likely buyer, you know, that's that's going to put you through way too much stress and, and um, you know, make it very difficult for you to be able to get the deal done
0: which leads very well to number eight, didn't market the property hard enough.
3: Right. And that's, you know, if you, if you don't have a handful of buyers that are buying everything and then you've got to market the property, you know, just saying, you know, and this gets into a general thing for me with business and everything else in life. And it's something my, my father's always talking to me about as far as we, we all have these kind of to-do lists and whether it's written or just in your head or whatever. And the tendency a lot of times is to just go through and quickly do things to market off your list. But the intention of what you were going to do was to, to do something right, and you're not doing it right. You're just doing it and then writing checking it off your list. So the tendency could be, you know, I know I need to market this, so I put a Craigslist ad out to sell this house, and then you market off your list and go, you know, to a movie or something. It, you marketed it, but you didn't, you know, do the job right. You know, you keep, you know, with with something like this, you've got a house under contract, you've committed to buy from a from a seller, you know, that's a pretty big deal. And that, you know, if that means staying up till midnight, you know, doing Craigslist ads and and finding new buyers by calling their marketing, talk to them and all of this other stuff, you know, even putting together flyers, whatever you have to do, you just have to do it. That's great, and it and it gets easier because you do end up finding the the real buyers, and then you just well, like I do now it's just basically call them, and I don't really have to market the properties.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: All right. Last one. Number nine didn't start pushing it immediately.
3: Right, and that that's sort of the same. You know, it's a little bit like the last one, but basically, if you get it under contract and say it Friday evening, you know, a lot of times people are, wow, you know, just. Just thrilled, you know, I got this deal in a contract, you know, mixed with some nervousness and everything. But, you know, the tendency is to want to go and relax and say, well, I'll just, you know, Monday or, or tomorrow, Saturday, I'll, I'll start marketing it. You have to immediately start marketing that. As soon as you get home, you know, you, you have to start figuring out how to do it and getting it out there to get, let people know about it. Don't wait because those couple days that you wait could be the difference in having it close on time and not in having it blow up in your face and having some sellers very angry with you.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, very cool. Well, that's awesome. I really wanted to just go over that because I thought all nine of those points were really, really, really important. So, uh, Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, thank you. Um, all right. Well, let's kind of get uh, wrapping this thing up. Uh, I know you've got a Kindle book that I want to give you a minute to just tell people about because I read it and I think it's awesome. So uh, I guess, yeah, take a, take a minute and tell us about it.
3: Sure. It's uh, called Flipping Houses Exposed and it's on amazon.com. Uh, it's 99 cents. I'm trying to get Amazon to to uh, make that free. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully they will. But uh, right now 99 cents, it's practically free, but the book is basically following my business through for thirty four weeks. Everything I did to generate leads, uh, there was during the thirty four weeks, generated four hundred ninety five leads, and and the deals that we bought, and even share sort of the scope of work for the the properties, uh, for the rehabs, and then the selling, and then the actual numbers from the deals, everything including the holding cost and the closing cost and the rehab cost, and it's basically just real world investing. I mean, it's it's uh, you know it's not hyped up TV, uh, dramatic, drama-sized, or, <laughs> dr- drama size, I can't say that word, <laughs> you would edit that maybe, but uh, <laughs> you know, it just goes through everything and shows you what it's really like, and, and what I, I really like about how it came out is, is that even though we we're experienced investors, for the first several months, there wasn't a deal, and I was cranking my marketing back up, and that's what happens when people start. You know you start and the marketing has got to build on itself, and you start to get more and more leads, and then you finally get the deal, and then things start happening and then, and then there, and there, there's a week where there's two deals in one week and and that's the way it naturally happens you know for people that that getting started to realize that it's a numbers game, and if you just do enough and keep doing it and don't give up and get frustrated and stop, you know it'll happen for you too so
1: yeah well definitely well definitely um we're going to put a link to that in the show notes as well that people can go and pick up that book. So uh, very cool. Uh, well, before we wrap up, we got four questions. The famous four that we want to ask you. For, famous
3: four.
0: Famous yes.
1: four. <laughs> all right. So, all right. Uh, number one, what is your favorite real estate book other than your own? Oh,
3: other than mine? <laughs> now, I, honestly, I, I even asked my wife, I said, do I have a favorite real estate book? Because they asked these on the podcast about the, the books. <laughs> And you know, I honestly, I don't have one that comes to mind. You know, as far as is general business and you know, maybe somewhat related to rich dad poor dad uh, or to real estate, maybe rich dad poor dad. I, I got a lot out of that book. It's it's a pretty easy read, but just the, the you know shifting your mindset and and thinking like an investor. I think that's an awesome book. And then also, you know, as it relates, if, if I can make this kind of relate into into real estate and getting into investing. I just got this book called Mastery Mastery by Robert Green. I've heard of that. And I just started reading. I'm I'm through a couple chapters, but it's really an awesome book. And I see a lot of uh, you know things that would help people getting started. And it, it basically talks about you know people doing what they're inclined to do. You know, you have inclinations to do certain things that just fit you. And when you do that, you put your heart and soul into it and you work real hard at it and you can you know, make anything happen. And, and those are the people that really do well in life and and are happy and all of that kind of thing. So, you know, that's just an awesome book. And, you know, it, it talks about a lot of the masters, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and 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 different people like that. And, you know, what they went through and what they did and, and how they found what they were inclined to do and then just put their heart and soul into it. And that's how they became who they were. So it's a powerful book. Nice. All awesome.
0: right. So that's a good uh, non-real estate book. What about hobbies? I I think I saw that you're. Are you a pilot? Is that is that right?
3: Right, and that's yeah. Flying my airplane is is my favorite hobby. I don't have nearly as much time lately to do it anymore. But you know, we're so San Antonio is not far from the beach. So in, in my plane, I can get there in about fifty minutes.
0: So this is and, your own plane,
3: right? Yeah, and nice. so just hop, hop down, and you know, not too long ago, I took my wife down there, and we had lunch, had seafood on the on the coast, and then flew back, and uh, you know, it's it's just, it's a very freeing thing too, because separating yourself from the earth and being up there, especially when I'm alone, you know, just great way to clear my mind and you know, focus on flying, but. That's I love cool. it, and I recommend it for anybody that has any interest in doing it.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I know Br- Brian Burke talked about that in one of the early podcasts, too. He was a pilot, so uh, very cool. I, I hope to follow in those footsteps sometime. <laughs> uh, so last last question. What do you think sets apart the successful house flippers from those who just uh, can't seem to get off the ground?
3: To me, the difference, and this comes from reading I've got a lot of interest also in in sort of like World War II history and things, especially with regards to the, you know, flying and aviation. But, you know, being afraid, but doing it anyway. You know, it's like everybody's afraid to get in the business and take these chances and take these risks. And it's the people that do it anyway that just decide that I need to do this and then they do it. And a lot of people screw up and and you most likely will, and hopefully it's not a big one, just if you're taking small steps, it won't be a big screw-up, and, uh, you know, progress and, and, and build on it. But, you know, we're all afraid to do it, and I think the people that are successful are the ones that were afraid but did it anyway. That's and then taking, is. you know, taking baby steps and taking action instead of just perpetually learning, you know, that a lot of us get stuck in. So, you know, it's not like we talked about before at the beginning. I think it was, you know... It, not trying to learn every single step of the way and becoming an expert sitting in front of your computer. You know, figure out the general overview and start learning the beginning parts and then turn off the computer, get outside, drive around, talk to people.
1: Yeah. That's awesome.
3: Nice. Well, Danny, listen, man, this uh,
0: has been a really good show with a ton of actionable information. I, uh, it's going to be hard to digest. I think people are going to have to listen twice. But uh, definitely want to thank you for your time and for coming on, and and uh, we we certainly appreciate it. And, and of course, um, our users can also, of course, find you on the Bigger Pockets blog where you uh, are uh, currently posting weekly. So thanks again for being part of the show. We appreciate it.
3: Oh, thank you, Josh. Thank you, Brandon.
0: All right, thanks, Danny. And that was our show with Danny Johnson. That was a great, great, great podcast. a ton of actionable content and information. Uh, if you want to find Danny, you could find him on bigger pockets. He's got a profile. We'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, you can also find him on his blog at flippingjunkie.com and uh, uh, you know he's definitely a good guy, so if you've got questions, feel free to, to hit him up. Otherwise, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is show eighteen. We're rocking right along with the Bigger Pockets podcast. Uh, in fact, so far we've had two hundred and twenty uh, ratings of the show on iTunes, which is awesome. Uh, we've we've we're averaging actually very close to ten thousand listens per show now. Uh, so. You know we ask everybody, uh, if you are a listener, please jump on iTunes and leave us a rating and also uh take a minute or two and leave us a review. Uh this takes us a lot of time to put the show together, and uh, you know, the ratings are, are definitely appreciated. So please do that. Otherwise, uh please check out our site, biggerpockets.com. If you are not already a member, uh, it's BiggerPockets.com. It's an awesome community, a great place to network, find people. Uh, make friends, learn, you name it, do deals. Uh, so come on board and join us at biggerpockets.com. And uh, finally, if you are not presently following us on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, you can find us on all three at slash biggerpockets. So that would be facebook.com/slash biggerpockets, youtube.com/slash biggerpockets, and twitter.com/slash biggerpockets. Jump in and follow us. We share lots of cool stuff there. And uh, actually, have some kind of exclusive conversations and, and questions and, and surveys, and do do all sorts of fun things over there. So uh, definitely follow us. And that's about it. Thanks again for listening to the show. I'm Josh Dorkin, your host. Signing off.
1: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions
2: of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units.